This faith-affirming podcast is a production of Latter-day Radio for the enlightenment and illumination of its audience. Originally broadcast on KLO Radio in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a pleasure to have uh, Professor Christine Fredrickson. Uh, she's a professor at Brigham Young University with us in studio. We're going to be talking this hour and next hour about politics, the Constitution, church and state, you know, all those things that people never talk about together, but they probably really should, and where we're headed in this country, I I don't know, just uh, anything that might get us all riled up or other people riled up or give some information to people that they likely have not heard or known about before well we claim that we're we're broadcasting from the intersection of faith and freedom let's find out how that goes for us uh obviously sometimes you'll whisper to someone in in priesthood meeting or sunday school someone that you know agrees with you on things but you wouldn't want to ever say it out loud we're going to say these things kind of out loud today we 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 hope we don't offend anybody but we're going to try to speak the truth if the truth is offensive uh we're not going to apologize for that uh dr Fredrickson, tell us we know all about you. People that we may have new listeners, give us a, a, a 30 second uh, CV, if you would, about who you are, what, what you do, and, and why we keep inviting you back. <laughs> <laughs> no one else will come. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that is not true, not and then we choose you because you're knowledgeable, of course. Yeah, I um, um, I have my uh, PhD is in modern European history, minor field in um, American history and in um, um, British literature, and I um, I'm a student of um, uh, politics in um, Europe and also in American society. And as I've taught more and more American history classes, and I want to clarify, I'm not a professor at BYU. Oh. I'm not on a tenure track path. Wow, okay. And I teach I part-time at BYU and UVU, depending on what's going on in the different semesters. And uh, But um, my um, interests are, um, obviously, American history is critically important to me and spend a lot of time in the study of the Constitution, but as a British and European historian, also looking at all of those uh, European thinkers and the way that their philosophies and political philosophies and ideas impacted the writing of the Constitution of the United States and where our liberties lie. Um, I do anti-human trafficking, particularly sex exploitation, and then I write for Mormon Times on whatever strikes my fancy is rather eclectic, but I usually treat what's going on in the public's um, um, sphere uh, in regards to the doctrine and principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, I see that uh, Glenn Beck's been promoting the fact that uh, Tim Ballard's new movie is coming out quite soon, Operation uh, Toussaint. I think that's the uh, title of that movie. So look for it. It's... uh, talks directly about that problem, have you said, of, of uh, sex slavery, uh, mm-hmm. sex exploitation. I don't know when it's going to be coming out. It's going to have limited runs, so look for it in, in, in theaters near, uh, near where you live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this actually is the end game of, um, you know, um, demagogues, um, the exploitation of women and children in the most venal ways. And, you know, liberties, the liberties and freedoms that are enshrined in the Constitution, if applied, would certainly prevent those kinds of practices. They would. And um, it's amazing how much of this goes on in the world. Um, People 
around here who, who think things are so out of control live incredibly sheltered lives when you compare it to other places in the world. Mm-hmm. Today, one of our big focuses uh, is what's happened in the elections recently. And to some extent, we still don't know. You know, every uh, morning in the, in the Tribune or the Deseret News, you know, you see different numbers for recounts for um, Mia Love and, and Ben McAdams. And, you know, one day 900 vote difference, another day 1,200 vote difference, and then back and forth. And lawsuits filed in Florida, you have... I think we're up to 10, at least at last count. There, there may have been more lawsuits that have been filed, lawsuits filed over elections in Georgia. Mm-hmm. These things do not seem to engender a great deal of confidence on the part of the um, voters and citizens of the U.S. and, and uh, um, others in our political system. Your thoughts? You know, I, I, I think uh, uh, we would be best served if we um, talk about politics without talking about... Oh, thank you. Talk about politics, but one of the things we need to do when we talk about the political sphere is to um, go to key principles and doctrines that are enshrined in the Constitution. So this is not a, a you know um, advocacy for one political party over another political party. Certainly, it's not advocacy for the kind of tribalism we're starting to see in American society. But if we understand who these individuals were that wrote the Constitution, if we understand what their intentions and concerns were, and if we understand at uh, if we understand the um, their determination to provide people as much liberty as humanly possible, so that people can make determinations about the course of their own life independent of an oppressive government, and that was their great concern. They were coming, you know, that's exactly what they were moving away from. That's what the Re- American Revolution was all about. It was to free themselves from, um, you know, um, at times, crazy King George, who was extremely oppressive and heavy-handed, and that's what we find oftentimes when we talk about monarchy. A good ruler will do good things, um, but they have an extraordinary power, and so a bad ruler can do horrible things. And he did have mental illness, and so many in his cabinet were, you know, using and abusing American citizens, basically, and particularly their economic resources, and so the break with those individuals so that they could enjoy the fruits of their own labor. And what we are seeing in America is we're seeing certain individuals that are sort of pushing the envelope towards certain political practices that do not enshrine that principle of liberty and freedom in America. And both sides of the equation, you know, whether you like it or not, you are seeing individuals that uh, come on the left side of the political spectrum that are deeply concerned about what we are seeing today. You see individuals on the right that are deeply concerned. You see an enormous number of individuals that um, have stepped away from politics because it's become such ugly ugly business, which certainly might also be intentional on the part of some individuals in the political sphere to open the way for demagoguery. But either side of it, this is much more than about, you know, political parties. And this is about the principles of liberty and freedom in the United States today. I, I found an interesting quote here in terms of voting and governing. Uh, Joseph Stalin said, those who vote decide nothing. Those who count the vote decide everything. (laughs) Even if he didn't say it, the atheist communist dictator certainly put it into practice. 
So uh, I think we can all make the conclusion, yes, things are in jeopardy right now, and we need to be very, very careful and, and very observant uh, about what's happening and ask ourselves, what is it that we have to do? For me, one of the troubling things is the trends that are out there. Uh, and, and I'll give you a few, and I'll be a, a little bit p- political. Um, the, um, the trends that we see are away from knowledge about the Constitution. If, you know, what, one of the things that drives me crazy, uh, Chris, if, you know, if I can be a little less f- mm-hmm. formal here, about about I prefer that about the um, yeah then I won't be like one of the students on the back row raising their hand Dr. (laughs) Fredrickson yeah you know so uh, one of the things that that I find so tragic about the illegal immigrants in this country isn't the fact that they are immigrants or that they're in this country, it's that when you come illegally, which is now sanctioned in so many places, you miss out on something that is crucial, which is a basic understanding of the kind of government that the U.S. Constitution provides for. And when when you come in the right way, you actually have to take a test. You actually have to learn a few basic things. Now, now maybe they don't know much about how it works in practice, but at least you have some rudimentary ideas, and those are crucial, and, and those are lost. Now people who come just want to vote for more stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that I think that um, we fail to understand in American society is we are a nation of immigrants. We are, and we welcome immigrants. But the basis for American society, and in fact, um, I was reading through Section 130, whatever it is, in the Doctrine and Covenants, I'll refer to it, But um, and it mentions laws, laws, laws. We are a nation that is based on the rule of law. This was the intention, always the intention. It's clearly articulated in the documents. Obviously, that's what the Constitution is. It's the basis for our laws in American society. And so, in theory, everything is supposed to be judged against the Constitution. The problem is when you get activist judges, but we'll talk about that probably a little bit later, that rule and do not use the Declaration of Independence coupled with that Constitution of the United States as the standard for what the rule of law is in American society. So what is and isn't legal. So when you have individuals that come to this country illegally, they come outside the rule of law. But unfortunately, what we fail to understand is they oftentimes then put themselves outside the rule of law so that when they're in this country, whether we like it or not, people certainly can take advantage of them. And they are afraid to go to the authorities because they live outside the rule of law. They live here as illegal immigrants. The other thing that's so troubling is as they come here illegally, they can go ahead and they can get a college education if they want, but good luck getting a job without a social security card in this country. And if they and want one, they, there's usually uh, some kind of chicanery that, that happens yes, that, that, in, in the background. Get them. So they're in a very disadvantaged position from the very second they cross the border illegally. And, and the reality is, is that Congress, Congress 
unfortunately, many members of Congress understand that the way to stay in power is to not make it's not pass any laws, to not make any political decisions then that is going to, because we're such a divided populace, that's not going to offend half of the voters that are in your the, the district that you represent. And so they don't rule on these things. They need to make significant um, immigration reform. They need to make a pathway for individuals to apply, to get into this country legally, to get a green card as a beginning of the process toward. They need to do those things, but they refuse to do that. And so They've got us in this morass, this horrible swamp that we are in right now. And until Congress does what it is elected to do, which is take responsibility and pass some real um, immigration reform that's in line with the Constitution, this problem is only going to get worse. More faith-affirming podcast content from Latter-day Radio coming your way. Stick around. Before we went to the break, Chris talked a little bit about the uh, dangers that we're facing today, and in, in, in particular about the rule of law. And in 1996, I had the opportunity to go to, to uh, Russia, actually uh, in southern Russia, to the city of Rostov, and to lecture with a group called the International Republican Institute. And interesting, back then, the, the, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and AFL-CIO all participated in these things together. They each had different groups that they would send over to talk about how we do things in the United States, how free elections are held. And, you know, it had only been seven years since the Soviet Union broke up. And there were 16 political parties at that time participating in in uh, what was now Russia, Soviet Union was gone. It is interesting. We went to one of these political parties, and they sh- they they shared an office uh, down the hall from the Communist Party. But this was a, a Russian uh, Liberty Party. And then we went to a hotel where we would uh, we had uh, translators that would that would. Uh, translate what we were talking about. We basically gave them ways that we, that we do direct mail, how we do uh, messaging, those kinds of things, since I've been involved in political advertising for such a long time. And at the, at the beginning, we had a, a woman at our reception come up to me and say, we want what you have. And I said, well, they want uh, free markets, they want to have Social Security, they want to be able to uh, vote. And so I asked her, well, what, is, what do we have that you want? She says, we want the rule of law. And that's interesting that that was the first thing that came out of her mouth. She wanted the rule of law. The question is, are we losing the rule of law? <laughs> one, of, one of the comments that you hear people make it, um about Social Security and, and about Medicare and Medicaid is that if, if everyone has it, then no one will have it because it is uh, watered down. You say, well, what does that have to do with the rule of law? Um, if, if you have too many laws, then in effect you have no laws. And, and of course, if you have no laws, then you have anarchy. Uh, Dallin Oaks, to, to draw in some of the religious aspects of this, wrote what I thought was an absolutely fascinating article in, I think it was the early 80s, that, that he was, before I, f- I finished law school, but 
um, uh, I, I somehow ran across it, it and, and it was published in the Utah Bar Journal and it dealt with the proliferation of, of laws and I won't get all the, the numbers right here but it, but it was fascinating he said that, that in these 1700s and 1800s there were basic laws you know you had you, you had some basic crimes that that were prohibited and you had some some other laws but mostly people live their days based on common sense and he said today and and one of the, one of the examples that he gave was that you know you could fit all of the laws of of New York at at the time uh, you know, Joseph Smith was was around uh, on half of of one bookshelf. You know, on on one uh, judge's wall in in his chambers. You know, I mean, there just weren't that many laws. Everything was common sense, and and then they would decide a few things here and there. And all the federal laws you could easily put on on the bookshelf in a in in a small room. Um, today, if you actually printed them out so you had physical books it would take a an entire building a fairly large building to house all the federal laws and if you want to see the the state statutes and and then all of the other affiliated laws they would take up um bookshelves i mean there there are a huge amount of laws And, and, and it's to the point now where somebody does something wrong on the highways and you'll hear people casually say there ought to be a law there ought to be a law against that you know and and they're serious and it's tragic and and uh, that's one of the things that that I haven't done justice to to uh, Dallin Oaks article but the gist of it was that it's tragic that we are relying less and less on common sense and more and more on a ridiculous peripheral proliferation of laws. You know what? That takes us to something that we were discussing before we went on air, and it's the notion or the idea of proscriptive laws and prescriptive laws. And if you look at the Constitution of the United States, and we'll define those, but the Constitution of the United States is proscriptive. It says things that the government cannot do because as the government becomes more and more involved in people's lives... And that's what prescriptive laws allow them to do. So we can prescribe that you can't do this and you can't do that and you must do this and you must do that. We can make all kinds of laws. But the problem is, as quickly as people make laws, people find ways to work around the laws, don't they? Proscriptive, what the Constitution is, is it is proscriptive. It's here are the liberties of individuals that you are not allowed to violate. You cannot violate their lives, you cannot violate their liberty, and you cannot violate the pursuit of happiness. Now, when we use that term, pursuit of happiness, Thomas Jefferson, of course, was the writer of the the Declaration of Independence. I'm talking about the Declaration here, excuse me. When he wrote the Declaration of Independence, he's harking, he's ripping a page right out of John Locke's second treatise on government. And John Locke, in that second treatise of government, he articulates that the liberties to which people are entitled, that are inviolate, in other words, people have no right to violate them, are life, liberty, and estate. And he uses that word estate, and it's talking about property Property. rights. Yes. People have no right to take from one person 
person and to redistribute that which they have gained for right or for wrong, for good or for evil. They have no right to take that from human beings. And actually, that is the right that is most consistently violated in the United States today, which makes it then more easy for them to get to the point where they can take away life and liberty as well. Because if you attempt to take away life and liberty, people are going to be screaming their heads off. But as you slowly erode people's property rights, it is, you know, I mean, by definition, that is a definition of tyranny. A tyranny, anytime you take away their life, their liberty, or their property... That's tyrannous. And then they have control over your lives. Government has control over your lives. And so as they slowly array, uh, erode your right to property and how you want to distribute and use your property, that makes it much easier them, for them to get to that point of also taking away your life and your liberty. And when we talk about property, we're not just talking about your money. We're in a big gun debate today. And, you know, I have no problems... Personally, I think that there should be very strict um, um, uh, checks and controls on when a person goes to apply to get a gun. We should have background checks. We should be serious about those background checks. But the right to bear arms, again, without that kind of defense, it leaves you open to individuals that intend to do you harm because it's sometimes difficult for the police to respond. It also leaves you open to government um, overreach, um, you know, taking away your liberties as well. And so, you know, these, these things are not without um, purpose by those that want to deprive us of our liberties, but this Constitution was certainly orchestrated by our Father in Heaven. We read that in the Doctrine and Covenants um, by great and good men. I don't think we've ever seen the likes of the kinds of political minds, those framers of the Constitution, at one time and in one place ever in the history of mankind, and they were bright, and they were well-schooled, and by working together, they were able to iron out many of the problems and to address those problems. And unfortunately, as we've moved on, we've ignored them. We've ignored their George Washington, his antagonism to party politics, rightly so, the erosion of these freedoms that they, um, the absolute essentiality of religion to the maintenance of the Constitution of the United States, all of those were articulated by all of the founding fathers. And we're moving more and more away from those. And in today's society, whether we like it or not, there is this positive um, presentation of socialism, which is a variant, uh, you know, on his extreme end, we're talking about Marxism and communism. So it's that road, too. It's that path, too. And it deprives individuals of their property rights. Anytime the government has control over whatever it might be, life, liberty, property, they have control over your life. And they have more and more control, more taxes, more redistribution, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get back and talk about socialism in the next segment. Uh, Martin, what... Uh other topics and avenues do we want to explore today? Oh, no, we're going to talk about socialism right now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. There are a lot of different things that we want to, uh, to cover. I, we ought to talk a little bit about um, some of the political races. You know, I, I, I mentioned uh, Georgia, Florida, and the, the voting issues that have that have come about there uh, mentioned the local Utah race, um, Ben McAdams, Mia Love. But I did not bring up the Arizona race, which to me in a way is is emblematic of, of what's going on in, in this country as a whole. And that is fascinating to me because if you looked at Arizona 
in the 50s and 60s and even 1970s, this was one of the politically um, most conservative states. And when I say conservative, I, I don't necessarily mean Republican. These were people who had very traditional values and wanted small government, those, those kinds of things. And for someone who was an avowed socialist in some ways, uh, although she did not articulate it outright during her her candidacy as she has in in the past to, to but actually her record but her record that's right proves that she is very much a far left socialist that's that's right and and that speaks volumes about the trends that are going on in this country and, and I find those alarming and worrisome because as you said uh, Chris we need to get back to the underlying principles of the constitution which are freedoms and limited government in a nutshell we're not done yet more faith affirming podcast content on its way stay with us We mentioned the term identity politics before the break. There's a an article that came out in a magazine called Whistleblower Magazine called Identity Politics is Destroying Us. How Diversity Mania is Poisoning Politics, Culture, Education, and Science. I think one of the things that they don't talk about in this article, but we know as important as members of the church, is the whole concept of unity. Zion, of course, as we mentioned earlier, the Lord called his people of Zion because they have one heart, one mind, wealth, and righteousness, and there is no poor among them. Uh, di- diversity and unity seem to be going in, in opposite directions. I mean, there obviously there's some things about diversity. You know, a diverse diet is good, and it's important to let other people have their viewpoints. But using it as a as a cudgel is what this particular article is talking about. In fact, what it says is, thanks to this mysterious factor called identity politics, America's treasured unity has been replaced by a bizarre national obsession with systemic racism, implicit bias, discrimination, structural inequality, misogyny, Islamophobia, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, and a never-ending stream of new sins and phobias. Indeed, it's all many people on the left especially can talk about today, having successfully propagated the myth that the ranks of one party, the Republicans, and Christian conservatives are all full of racist, fascist, Klansmen, and Nazis. Meanwhile, college students are drowning in a culture of fear and guilt, pathologically fixated on mysterious new phantom sins like white privilege, toxic masculinity, microaggressions, and cultural appropriation. You have any re- comments sounds, on this? No, that sounds like a really happy, fun world. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just jump in, and I, I want to talk a, just real quick about identity politics. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of unity and diversity. And, you know, in a perfect world, and actually, I believe, um, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is encouraged is diversity 
unified under certain core principles. In other words, individuals being individuals. And yet there are certain core principles to which all individuals adhere. And that's dramatically in opposition to identity politics because the way that I define identity politics in its simplest form and fashion is it's manufactured grievances. So you have, again, you have individuals out there who are seeking power and control over other people's lives. And so what they do is they gin up tension by manufacturing so-called grievances. Oh, darn, you were born a, a woman. Oh, darn, you were born African-American. Oh, darn, you were born Hispanic. You know, whatever it might be. Um, you were born um, uh, without an arm or a leg. You know, whatever it might be. What they're going to do is they're going to turn it on its ear and suddenly, and imagine, as I mentioned, you know, imagine living your life always carrying around a grievance or feeling that, you know, poor, poor, pitiful me. And that's not what Heavenly Father intends, and that's not what, again, you know, as we get back to, what we, to where we started, it's not what the Constitution intended. The Constitution intended to provide individuals liberty, freedom, and opportunity to live their very diverse lives organized under certain core principles. And this is why, and you know, you can read that in the Doctrine and Covenants, the saints are heavily persecuted in Missouri and in um, uh, Ohio. And uh, when they are, they actually actually choose to leave the United States. And so they relocate in the Salt Lake Valley, don't they? And at that period of time, it's under Mexican control. And yet there's going to be that Mexican-American war, and boom, they're back in the United States as a territory and under the control of the federal government. And yet, when July 4th comes around, and Joseph Smith himself said, I am the greatest defender of the Constitution of the United States on the earth. And he meant that sincerely, because... And I'm going to read just a quick section here from Doctrine and Covenants section 98 to help understand what happened to the prophet Joseph Smith. He says here, uh, it says here, the law, see, back to laws, the law of the land which is constitutional, supporting that principle of freedom in maintaining rights and privileges belongs to all mankind. So this is not just, you know, this Constitution was not just given. This experiment in liberty and freedom is not just for American citizens. It's also a model for individuals around the globe. It's justifiable before God. Therefore, I, the Lord, justify you and your brethren and your brethren of my church in befriending that law. Now notice here, here's the qualifier, which is the constitutional law of the land. And as pertaining to law of man... Whatsoever is more or less than this cometh of evil. When individuals decide to act outside of those constitutional principles, when we establish laws in these country, in this country that, you know, based on activist ideas and principles, when we exclude the Constitution as the basis for our laws, then what we end up, we end up with the laws of man, which is outside the constitutional law of the land, which then denudes us of our liberties and freedoms. And he goes on to say, when the wicked rule, the people mourn, therefore honest men and wise men, remember, this is again in a Christian context, and it doesn't mean they have to be Christians, but they have to have those key moral values. Wherefore, honest men and wise men should be sought for diligently, and good men and wise men we should observe to uphold. Otherwise, whatsoever is less than these cometh of evil. 
And so it's inherent upon us that we choose individuals that are moral, upright individuals that preserve and promote the idea of individual liberty and freedom and a very, very small federal government. And, you know, that's a whole other topic, but the size of our federal government was absolutely antithetical, opposed to anything that the Founding Fathers intended. That is so very, very true. One of the great uh, clauses that people tend to bring up when they're members of the Restored Church of, of Christ and, and they're talking about politics and, the, and they get all sad and weepy and <laughs> disappointed at the direction things things are going, say, the Constitution will hang by a thread. And I, I remember the first time I, I heard that quote, um, it was by kind of an, an, an alarmist. He, he was worried that we were just right on the verge. And that was uh, uh, in the early 70s. And things have dramatically deteriorated in many ways since, since then. This, this notion of the Constitution hanging by a thread has, was originally um, described, although not with that hanging by a thread phrase from Joseph Smith and then reiterated by Brigham Young, Orson Hyde, John Taylor, Harold B. Lee, and a whole bunch of others. But but here is what Joseph Smith said, at least according to the um, notes of the scribe, uh, a young lady named Mary Jane Corey. This is, this is from an April 6, 1840 uh, Joseph Smith discourse. Quote, the U.S. Constitution will be brought to the very verge of crumbling to pieces and tumbling to the ground. And when the Constitution is upon the brink of ruin, this people will be the staff upon which the nation shall lean, and they shall bear the Constitution away from the very verge of destruction. Close quote. Now, I like that quote quite a bit more than the hanging by a thread because it sounds, although it has a dire prediction, it sounds like there's a happy ending to the story. And the notion that the Constitution will be saved can only happen if we really understand it, not just believe in it. There are so many people who say, oh, yes, I, I, in Latter-day Saintville, uh, if we are to save the Constitution, we must not just believe in it, we must understand it. There are a few Latter-day Saints who would say, I don't believe in the Constitution, but there are also, sadly, a huge number who really don't understand it very well because they vote for an enormous government and for never-ending strings of laws that would take away the very freedoms which the Constitution is there to enshrine over, over the years you know, freedom of religion has morphed into uh, freedom from religion in many contexts. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we could give dozens and dozens of other examples. Oh, and, uh, you know, and, and let me um, clarify one thing here. I've talked about Christian values and Christian principles, but let me clarify one thing. For, for, for several years, we housed in our home as sort of quasi-members of our family, and they called me mom, and I loved them dearly, young men from Saudi Arabia and other um, uh, Muslim countries and loved them dearly. And the reason that they were here in, the, in uh, Utah particularly is because we have such shared values, the importance of family, the importance of sexual morality. All of these things are intrinsic to the faith. 
Now, there certainly is radical Islam that doesn't that warps, you know, the interpretation of those principles. But two things we need to remember here, and it, this again comes from those articles of faith, and let's read them. And they're they're back to back, and I think they're intentionally back to back. And first, uh, excuse me, article of faith number eleven. We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience, and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. The first thing that's defended in the um, Bill of Rights is um, um, the freedom of religion. It's not freedom of speech. It's the freedom of religion. People are free to worship. Again, as long as it doesn't contravene or it doesn't erode other people's liberties and freedoms. You're free to believe whatever you want. And as, as members of this church, that should be something that is sacrosanct to us, that we uphold people's right to believe differently than us, that we don't intimidate them, we don't threaten them, uh, that we certainly don't oppress them. And they are free to believe. And there are so many wonderful people in this world that have similar values to Christian values, uh, you know, whatever we might say. They, they just have similar core values that uh, respect and honor others' individual agency and, and lives. And then it goes on in verse 12. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. See? Law again. Critical mass. And that constitution is the basis for our laws in American society. We must adhere to it. This podcast has been produced by Latter Day Radio. Visit latterdayradio.com for more information.